Hey everyone, welcome to the Tell Us Running Podcast, another Fanboys episode with the great Tomek Baginski. This is our fourth episode of Fanboys. How are you today, um, Tomek? <laughs> Very good, but first, why are you calling me great? Because <laughs> you're fantastic. You're the inestimable. Oh, okay. The inestimable. <laughs> no one can compare. The one of a kind. You would at least okay. agree that you're a one of a kind, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, everyone. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> okay. Agree. So, um, anyway, this is our fourth episode, as I was saying. And this week, we've got a little bit of a, a buy between um, big races coming up. So, we had a World Cross Country Championship last week, which, by the way, our third episode was all on. And it was true to form, was it not? Tomek, it was epically amazing and incredible race. Yes, as everything, I think it was even better than expected. I, I, think <laughs> I have to say, even though the the expectation in the media and everything else set it up so so fantastically, that the race it, it was even better. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it played out a little bit differently than expected on the men's side, right? So on the men's side, there was one person in there, an Etrayan named Kiffel, who was had his nose in the ball in the game all the time. And then Berega, who we talked about before, the great Ethiopian runner, never really made a, his presence in the front pack. Um, although at the end of it, he did nip... Um, you know, Ronex Kipruto at the line, but they, um, but he didn't put his nose in it. So that was the one little unexpected thing was there was a little wrinkle there. But otherwise, it's, it was as expected with um, Cam Moore sitting back and allowing the race to sort of come and go. Um, it was a little surprising that it didn't look to me like um, Chip Tagey and, and um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the guy who got second. Why am I blanking on his name? Kip Limo. Uh, oh, Kip Limo. Sorry. Why Kip Limo and Chip um, guy did not really so concretely work together, although um, Kip Limo did the lion's share of the work for the first 8K. Um, and then over the last 2K, looked like Camor tried to make a move or two. Both, it got covered by both Kip Limo and Cheptegei. And then in the last 2K, Cheptegei took over the race, basically decimated the field and ran away from everybody, even Kip Limo, who um, you and I had discussions about afterwards. I, I looked looked to me like maybe he was allowing the ascendant to take off. You were a little less... Um, you didn't buy that as much as, as, as I did. I don't want to take anything from Cheptegei. But um, it was a little unusual the way that race played out in how much power and strength Kip Limo had throughout the course, and then suddenly Cheptegei took over at the end. But it was a it was a decimation of the Ethiopian and Kenyans by the by the Ugandans. They absolutely crushed the field. They were unbelievable. I mean, um, well, well, this is exactly you predicted. That's the race gonna go, and I was just like watching the race. You, <laughs> you predicted. Uh, you can go and listen. Now anyone can go, and and you said maybe mid race that gonna happen. But you know when when uh, Kiplimo pushed the, the f uh, fourth time around uh, uh, uphill, pretty much broke. Kamuaro and and last two K they ran together away as a team. Yeah. That was just amazing, and that's yeah. I thought we might so see a little bit more. Congratulations! Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. I thought <laughs> we might see a little more mano a mano, like back and forth with Cheptegei and Kiplimo, yeah, but it yeah. seemed like Cheptegei understood that Kiplimo was going to be 
young and dumb and and throw down like that and he just then took over when he needed to but it was a but it was an unbelievable showing by the ugandans um and they were i mean it was like seven guys in the top 20 i think their entire team was in the top 15 or 20 yeah. and they had five four other guys in the top 10 or and i i think or something like that it was just a complete destroying of the two greatest distance running countries in the world by yes another north another east african country but one that is not much heard of and you know i did a little research after the race was over tomek and rec and went to look at what was chapter guy's training situation like and you know early in his career he went up to Kaplagat and trained with um the man we're going to be talking about today with kipchoge and cam war in patrick sang's um group up there and uh he was there for i think a year or a year and a half um and everybody understood his absolute talent and that he was an unbelievably good runner but he said that he decided that he wanted to go back to uganda and help develop the ugandans that young ugandans who he had been seeing on trips back home were getting stronger and stronger um they made a big push for a world mountain championships over the last couple of years and won those and um now here they are with Chepta guy going back to his country, getting the young athletes there excited um, and running really, really well. They, in short order, destroy um, the greatest two countries in the entire world over history at um, at their own game and did it in such a way that it was unbelievably exciting and um you know, it wasn't so surprising to the two of us. We would already predicted Uganda to kind of take it, but um, I, the way in which they did it was even impressive to both of us. Yeah, exactly. And the sad part is that we have to wait two years for another cross-country, you know, race. Yeah, well, maybe Chepta guy will decide to go world half marathon champs and we'll get another battle there. But, oh, yeah. you know, now with what's going on with the IAAF and the 5,000 and the 10,000, who knows what will happen and what will what will go on with these athletes. And we'll talk about that at some other time. But there's so many unknowns now with what's going on in these longer distance races with um, a lack of support from the international governing body of track and field for the 5,000 and the 10,000 that these young athletes like Kip Limo and Chapter Guy, where are they going to go? Chapter Guy is 22 years old. I mean, he is a young buck and his <laughs> his teammate is 18 years old. And I think everybody in that entire field from the Ugandans were between 22 and 18. So, you know, you've got these incredible athletes and now the IAAF is taking away opportunities from them. But that's a subject for another day. Anyway, hats off to the Ugandans fact, and to. Uh, I don't know if you if you if you read that. Uh, so Kiplimo still junior. He could he could have race uh, junior race, but he did the senior. So he ran uh, four laps. That was a junior race, and five laps was a senior race. And and uh, Kiplimo ran exact the same time as a as a winner of the junior race, except he ran another lap. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. That the, was really interesting. So, yep. Yeah. So he would have won both either way, right? Um, and the guy who won the junior well, race, uh, he was so far ahead of everybody yeah. too. He won by like thirty seconds or something too, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the women's race, just so that we don't give short shrift, that that was an unbelievable race as well. I don't know if you got to watch that one, Tomek, but um, I mean, it, I kept watching it, thinking at some point in time. Um, Early on, your pick for the win, um, you know, Beatrice looked really, really good, and Chep Kowicz looked really, yeah. really good, but she she could not keep those legs rolling, and it was an unbelievably hard, fast pace set. Um, primarily, it was being set 
um, by Helen O'Beary, but it was because she was responding to the challenges, it seemed, from the two Ethiopians um, who were running with her stride for stride, the young Ethiopian and then the older marathoner, um, Dada. And it was surprising to me to see that Ethiopian, the marathoner Ethiopian, be the one who made most of the challenges and did most of the work in that race to try to to keep um, Helen O'Beary from winning the race, but there was nothing going to stop her. Her domination over the final lap was supreme. Um, it was just she controlled the race from the start the entire way. She looks like 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 death warmed over on a cracker when she runs. I mean, she's like completely <laughs> flogging her body. Her head's moving from side to side. Her shoulders are dropped back. I mean, she was like leaning, almost touching her nose to the to the to the <laughs> hill as she was going up the hill, flailing her legs and her arms. A couple of times, the commentator was like, "Well, luckily we know this is how Lobiri runs, but anybody else would look at her and say she's she's in trouble." But man, over that last K, going up that last hill, coming down the last hill, yeah. she was completely dominant. Um, it now it was the race looked closer than it was, um, but the marathoner just had nothing for the five k champion's leg speed and turnover. Yeah, so exactly, um, Helen O'Beary just destroyed the pack. Um, but the Ethiopians did get their big win over the Kenyans in the in the in the team title um, to a pretty in a pretty substantial way. The Kenyans shot the bed on the women's side. Um, it was a really bad performance for them. And so anyway, it was a, it was interesting to watch. The women's race was as exciting as the men's, in my opinion, and it was even closer than the men's. But the level of firepower just wasn't the same as what we saw in the men's race. Um, but still, another incredible race. Two of the greatest races I've seen in the last five to ten years happened within 30 minutes of each other. And it was an exciting, exciting time to be watching those races. I was It was really good and if you want to you can find them on youtube um and you can watch all four of those races are available the junior races are available as well to see and highly recommend if you haven't and you want a good schooling in the basics of track and f of of, tr of cross country go check that out because the commentators are english they know their sport they're incredibly good at educating you about what's going on and what's happening in the race and i don't think that there's a better hour that you could spend in terms of getting homework and done on um, one of the greatest foot races in the world exactly all right so we're going to move on to episode four this is a uh, we are we decided since we had this gap between the world cross-country championships and um, boston which comes next week and we're going to do a boston preview next week we w had been talking about possibly looking at kipchoge's training and discussing the world greatest world's greatest marathoners training because there has been um a little spy in the midst, and not in a negative way, but in a positive way, but somebody who's been at the training center that Kipchoge and Kamwar um, are at and um, has given been giving feedback and some and specific descriptions of key training sessions that Kipchoge's been doing since the, for the last nine weeks. And so what we decided was we would um, go through that and um, give you an idea of the kind of training that the world's greatest marathoner does and then break down that training a little bit in terms of how it how it corresponds to the way the best in the world train but also how everyday people train and then give you a few takeaways that you can take away from and say here are some key components that you might look to implement in your training program based on the greatest marathoner in the history of the world's 
result uh, training for this cycle going into um, London. Now, he's not running Boston. He's running London um, against the great Sir Mo Farah, which is another story altogether. But we'll save that story and that drama for um, the week prior to London, which is going to be held on the 28th of April. So here at about um, shy of three weeks. Um, so first we want to start off with, um, I'm going to start off with just a little bit of a of a primer on Kipchoge. So the Kip, the Ilya Kipchoge file, which is basically, this guy was um, a world junior champion in cross country and on the track. He was also, and so and he was the ascendant Kenyan at the time when there was not, there um, was a little bit of, a, of a, a lack of great firepower on the track from the Kenyans. Um, Kenya obviously has a decades-long tradition of supremacy and excellence, um, especially since the early, late 80s, early 90s, when the East African countries of Kenya and Ethiopia took over everything from the 5,000 meters all the way up to the marathon. Um, and in that late, early, early 2000s, from about 2000 until about 2008, Ilya Kipchoge was plying his trade on the tracks and on cross country and just very little on the roads at all. And, and I think Kipchoge probably started out as a sort of a wannabe 1,500-meter um, runner, but he didn't quite have the wheels to compete or quite have the uh, gear changes that it takes to be great at the 15. But he found his niche in the 5,000 meters, and he went on a string of incredible performances from 1999 all the way to 2008, where he basically um, was a world champion in the 5,000 meters one year. He was in 2003, I believe, or 2005. In 2004, at the Athens Olympics, he was a part of one of the great 5,000 meters of all time, where with 100 meters to go, there's the 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 greatest miler of all time, Hisham El Garouche, um, and then the greatest 5,000, 10,000 meter runner, cross country runner of all time, in the great um, Kenanesi Bekele. And then you have who is now considered the greatest marathoner of all time, um, shoulder to shoulder with those two um, Hall of Famers. And at that point, Kipchoge was not going to be known as the world's greatest at anything, but he got beat by those two. They went one, two. Kenanesi, uh, uh, Hisham El Garouche won the Olympic gold. Um, Bekele got second, and, um, and Kipchoge came up short for third, won a bronze medal. Um, fast forward four years later, and it's Kenanesi Bekele and and Ili Kipchoge at the 2008 Olympic Games, and um, same res same result. Um, Kipchoge did everything he could possibly do to try to win that race, but he just could not get the job done. And um, Bekele beats him and wins the gold medal, and it's a silver medal for um, Kipchoge. Then we go into sort of Kipchoge's dark years, where um, he didn't make the Olympic team in 2012 for Kenya. He was seventh at his trials, um, and he no, 2008, was... 2008, wasn't it? Oh, it was 2000... No, it was 2012. I thought... Or, Oh, Beijing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, That's it was right. Beijing, 2012. Yeah, right. So, and then he, and then it was really interesting. He he didn't make his Olympic team. It was what everybody calls his dark period, and and where he ran some cross country races, um, of which Let's Run decided to take some stabs at him and saying that he was responsible for poor performances at the World Cross Country Championships, and that there might be <laughs> some kind of World Cross Country, um, like that Kipchoge was a uh, a curse and cursed the Kenyan team, but. 
that's for another day and another topic. I don't, I don't really believe that. He was the number one runner for Kenya, so it's not his fault, right? But he didn't have the kind of ascendant performances that we were expecting from him. Didn't even make the Olympic team for Kenya in 2012. 2013, he decides to run the Hamburg Marathon, runs his first I think he ran a half marathon before that, got second or third, but he ran like one hour and was the fast, second fastest or first, either the fastest or the second fastest debut half marathon in history. Um, and so people were like, oh, well, maybe Kipchoge's found his niche in being a half marathoner. Well, he quickly moved up to the marathon. He ran the Hamburg Marathon and ran his opening first time marathon ever was 2.05.30 at Hamburg. And it was basically the beginning of the greatest string of marathon performances in all of history. Um, Kipchoge has undefeated in every one of his marathons. He's run nothing slower. His slowest marathon that he's run was when he won the Olympic gold medal in 2016, and he ran 208 on a very hot course, a very tough course, very hot course in Rio de Janeiro. Um, the only time he's ever been defeated, he was defeated in 2013 in only his second marathon ever, and it took Kipsang, Wilson Kipsang, breaking the world record in order for Kipchoge not to win that race. Um, and he ran, um, I think, believe 204 mid on that day. Um, and then, as we now know, Kipchoge is now the Olympic gold medalist. He is the world record holder. He finally broke um, the world record that was held by, um, that was held by, that the Kipsang's record, I mean, excuse me, Wilson Kipsang's record was broken. Um, and when Kipchoge got the world record by running 101, um, 101.40, it was it was a minute and 18 seconds faster than anybody had ever run the marathon. Everyone thought at that point in time that there's that, that is his crowning achievement. He can ride off into the sunset. Olympic gold medalist, almost broke two hours for the marathon in perfectly set up conditions, now has the world record and is basically un <coughs> undefeated in all the major championships that he's run other than one. And so there we stand. Here we are right now on the cusp of watching Ilya Kipchoge run his now what has become his um, seasonal um, and consistent performance at London. He's now done this, I think, four or five years that he's been running at London. And um, I, based on the training that, that Tomek and I are going to talk about, um, hot damn, but this this motherfucker's ready. What do you think, Tomek? <laughs> well, yes, he's ready. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to be ready no matter what. I mean, Kipchoge is Kipchoge. He, he has a, he has a system. He has experience. He has, a, you know, he has a heart. He has mind. Seems like you know, uh, he came a couple times in the recent years, close. You know, um, maybe losing, but that was just you know, 30, still thirty-five k in so then race was was won easily seems like so yeah uh, uh, yeah that was 2000 that was last year right 2018 <clears throat> at this race london where an unknown ethiopian who i don't even remember his name and because nobody does because he's not idola he hasn't shown back up again we haven't seen him <laughs> he he ran kipchoge all the way to 35k and it looked a little bit like for a while there especially from 30k to 35k that kipchoge might be on the ropes but there was a an emphatic and definitive move away, and um, Idola was able to hold on to second place with from the charging Mofera who was closing him down. But um, yeah, Kipchoge no no Idola was in Adola was in Berlin, and then a Kenyan was and I forgot his name was in London. Remember? Oh, okay, that's right. Yep. Yeah. 
but both times Kip, Kipchoge had been in, challenged for a little while, but it never played out. And he never, he was never defeated and not even really did it get, it got interesting, but the most interesting part was that it was pretty obvious that people are throwing everything they possibly can at an unseating the greatest of all time. And yet he is still continuing to think, in our opinion, at least Tomek and I's opinion, he's no longer even considering his competition. And I think that we will find that in this buildup as we've been, as people have been trying to talk about Mo Farah versus um, Ily Kipchoge. I think that in Ily Kipchoge's mind, he's paying no attention to that whatsoever. And it, there's a potential that that could be to his detriment. But um, we're not going to talk about that race itself. What we want to talk about today is this last nine weeks of training that Kipchoge has strung together, that there has been a, uh, a guy... Um, Mzungu on the Let's Run Forum. Um, Mzungu means white guy. And he has been watching and and sending updates. He is part of um, Sang's inner circle in some way, shape, or form because he's got some intel and some details, it seems like, that aren't just standing on the track with a stopwatch. It seems like he's maybe got some, at least a little bit more intelligence on the feelings and the attitudes and the approaches. But he's also being pretty cagey and not providing too much information. But we've what we've got is a breakdown of the last nine weeks of the greatest marathoner of all times, his exact sessions, recoveries, his times, and the overall volumes of his key quality sessions. And so Tomek and I, we, we decided to take a fine-tooth comb to it and and work through it. So Tomek, tell, us, tell everybody a little bit about how you came up with the idea that this might be a really fun podcast to talk about. Yeah, so Mzungu um, in Iten. Iten is the, is the city uh, in Kenya. Um, you spell I-T-E-N. Uh, that's his poster name on the Let's Run. And um, he started posting about, uh, I see, uh, February 23rd was his first post regarding the training. Uh, at first, you know, it looked like maybe he will just post the one workout or something to just give a hint what Kipchoge is doing or... Uh, you know, to kind of impress uh, how strong the guy is. But then days go by and the guy keep posting and eventually uh, look like the post gets huge uh, following. And um, people started asking questions. So it kind of it went from just the workouts, what's happening now, to what Kipchoge's recoveries are, how he does after the marathon, when is his break, uh, when is his, you know, um, how he does his stretchings or strength and everything else. Um, well, we know that Kipchoge is not, doesn't do too much of, of anything else but racing and running. But uh, he, the guy gave us good, um, good idea that uh, he says after the marathon he races, he takes about two months kind of off. He calls it off, but it's not really off. It's just the easy, even though he says he st still runs about 90 miles a week, you know, in an off, <laughs> off kind of weeks. And, and it continues uh, at least doing 18 miles long run. And he just says the intervals are shorter, less intensity. And um, of course, as we all know, Kipchoge in that period travels around the world a lot for for his sponsors and meets people. So clearly he he is a busy man. But even though 
the guy says even though he um, he may have an extra busy schedule he always finds time to to do you know 30 40 minutes of running at least he likes he likes keep maintaining the 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 process of running so so that that's that and yeah one 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 comment on that they don't he doesn't explicitly lay this out but there might be an argument that Kipchoge's a streaker because it seems like there was a little comment in there that Kipchoge never takes a day off because he feels like he'll get stale so one wonders how long it's been since Kipchoge has had a day off so even though he's in his not running phase he still runs seven days a week and and certainly in his key phases he's always on with seven days a week Um, but it was really interesting to me when I read that I was like oh here's an argument to all those all those uh, I know we have a few listeners out there who are streakers who are that means running how many days in a row without taking a day off and Kipchoge has a has has what I now call the Kipchoge standard it's like he'll at least go for a 45 minute run or 40 minute run right so (laughs) he said even when he's after a marathon race he goes out to run 40 minutes to get the get his legs turned over and turned out so anyway i just wanted to break that make that point that yeah, yeah. kachogi might be a streaker too <laughs> it's 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 you know it's an argument you know uh, probably topic for another discussion you know like how how you could could do that without mentally draining yourself right like how uh, let's say i, I imagine kipchoge not really stressing about those runs you know how how his approach is completely easy that's that's how the the awesome zungu says the easy runs are always by feel always you know never never prescribed paces so that's 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 another thing you know to to mention so anyway uh his training mzungu says after all that uh, rest then is a uh, Two months of base building base. Uh, that's uh, getting up to 200 kilometers per week, which is 100, 140, 100, 100. What's that's 120 miles, 125 miles. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yep. Yeah. So the goal is to build to that, and slowly they 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 still not pushing too hard, just building volume, and then final ten weeks uh, from the race, uh, as he called it, it's a business time. So that's that's when the guy started posting, and that's what we um, could follow and uh, kind of gather all the information that is available on a on a Let's Run forum. Um, and tell so, me, put all this yeah. into a Google Sheet that we will share and post as the one of the sh- on the show notes here, so that you all can go through Very and cool. read it. Because I think it'll be interesting for people to see because we're just going to go over the main framework. So if you want to, you could stop now and go and. And pull that sheet up and take a look at it while we go through it. We're not going to go through workout by workout, but we're just going to make some basic assessments on what we see. The first thing, Tomek, is that he has a really... I thought that they... I didn't think that they did a seven-day week schedule. I thought that they were more along the lines of Canova where they did a 10-day cycle, you know, where things cycled in 10-day cycles. But it looks to me like he's on a seven-day cycle. And so for our listeners who don't know training theory, that's... There's two basic fundamental ways that people line up training phases, and they line it up either based on seven days a week, and most people do that because that's what a work week is, and that's what people have time and energy for. So I think almost all of our listeners are probably of the type where they're doing a seven-day cycle, and that you know you might do four weeks 
you know, three weeks before you take a down week or two weeks before you do a down week. But you're basically going something, the same things on Mondays every Monday, the same thing on Friday every Friday and blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's another theory, and this is where most of the elites train, and they train in cycles of 10 days typically. Sometimes they'll call them 21 day. I still call that a seven day cycle because it fits into seven, you know, 21 divided by seven is three, so it's three weeks. But the real 10 week cycles are very hard for those of us who try to track athletes training because we can't figure out, unless you put it into a, a spreadsheet, it's really hard to figure out how that is cycling through. So anybody that's looked at like um, Coach Brad Hudson's schedules for Ali Kiefer, he, he's doing simple, basic, not simple and basic, he's doing very simple, basic training that is exceedingly hard and exceedingly difficult. But really, you can follow where he's going with things and he's willing to show you. But it's on a 10-day cycle, so it gets confusing really quickly. Um, whereas Kipchoge's on a seven-day cycle, which is highly unusual for an elite athlete. That makes it even easier for us to track. So he, on Tuesday, he does a basically um, a, a longer – is it longer or shorter on Tuesday? That's shorter, yeah. So he does a shorter interval session on Tuesday. Then Thursday is his long run. And his long run undulates – it alternates between two basic workouts. It's not alternates, but it's almost always a 40K, but sometimes he does 30K. Yeah, so 40K basically is 24 miles. He'll On a 40K day, he'll do a one-mile warm-up, a 1K warm-up and a 1K cool-down, and then his 40K. Um, and on the days that he does 30K, on the Thursdays that he does his long run at 30K – which is a, a usually a little bit faster. Um, he does more of like a 3K to 4K warm-up on that. And what I'm seeing with that, Tomek, is that he's prepping himself for the very short recovery, very short warm-ups he's going to be doing on race day. Um, and it looks like he's limiting his total volume that day to about 42K, which is 26 miles. Um, on those long run days, he does not go back out for another run. On most days of the week, he's doing two-a-days. But it looks like on on those Thursdays where his long run is, he's only doing one run for the week, one one run that day. And then Saturdays is his a little bit what we might be call threshold day, but he does largely intervals and almost always on the track with that stuff. So um, that's Kipchoge's cycle in general. It's a more speed like five k, ten k paces. Although he very rarely goes down to five k paces, he's mostly marathon pace half marathon pace maybe down to 10k pace on tuesdays thursdays long and hard and saturdays are sort of his threshold day if you want to call it that it doesn't really fit exactly in that and we're going to talk about that in a second but what other things do you see tomek from the overall structure of his weekly training that you that you thought were interesting uh it looks like he I'm assuming so Tuesday and 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 Saturdays Tuesdays and Saturdays at the, on, on on the track it's a dirt track so it's 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 I'm I'm believing it's only flat flat course that they run I I believe they run either extremely hilly or hilly like every day uh, and 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 and, and uh, Mzungu always um, says it was extremely hilly or sometimes muddy sometimes was was not muddy so it looks like um uh, uh which who is part of the group uh joffrey Kamwara, who just raced cross uh he he ran uh, he trained with um kipchoge preparing for for the cross so they did more hills and um now maybe kipchoge now easing up to london 
will do a little bit flatter courses but i think that's that's the kind of pattern i see and uh, he started it looks like he started the 10 week before the uh, the marathon uh, would not at first at second session he would take a rest in the afternoon uh, maybe adjusting to the volume of of those intervals and as as you keep going through the weeks uh, pm pm easy run either six seven miles at easy pace it's uh, it's 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 the pattern now and i think i believe kipchoge always takes uh, runs once once a day on sundays that, that's from previous uh, publications of his training, and I think that Sundays is when he goes and visits his family that is lives nearby in a dif- different setting. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that he doesn't live with family, right? Yeah, yeah and we'll we'll talk a little bit about <laughs> the philosopher. Um, I like to call Kipchoge now the Stoic because it seems like that's sort of his. He's not just a philosopher; he's a Stoic philosopher, but. Um, so, as we lo- look over this too, Tomek, another thing that I think that's really crucial is it's really simple stuff, right? Th- th- this is not a complicated exercise physiology focused programming, right? Yep. It seems to me what Patrick Sang has found with Iliad is that they just they play with a few basic variables. They modulate they do almost every single thing they do. This is one of the big overview things that I think is really crucial here. Everything gets faster as it goes along. Did you notice that? Every single workout, every single interval. I mean, it's not every, sometimes he'll run a 253K and then a 257K, but that's just because they're generally running in that pace zone and somebody paced it wrong because Kipchoge does not do, he's not at the front and center of his sessions early on in these intervals. He's, you know, I guess we should back up just a little bit, Tomek, because let's describe <laughs> these workouts, right? So here we have a, a um, I'll give you a, a Tuesday workout that you can understand. Um, and it basically is, uh, let me pick one that's Ks rather than 2Ks. So here we go. He does uh, in the morning. He goes to the track. Again, all this is in Kaptagat, which is where their training camp is, which is situated somewhere, but given the hill, the uphill and the downhill, somewhere around 8,000 feet of elevation. Um, certain spots are at, it seems like they're about at 75, and other spots are at like 82 feet, 8,200 feet. But basically for us, it would be about 8,000 feet. So this is a significant physiological challenge on the body. Um, I like to tell people you don't really notice altitude until you get to about 3K. Um, it's non-detrimental except for in longer races from 3K to 5K, 5,000 5, feet of elevation. Um, once you get to 5,000 feet of elevation, you're going to start to see significant in, in you're gonna definitely you move up you go up to Denver which is sitting at 5,000 feet you go out for a run you're going to know you're at altitude but it's up takes to about 5,000 feet where you start to notice that. From 5,000 feet to 6,000 feet, it starts to be, get a little bit harder. But this jump between 6,000 feet and 75 to 8,000 feet is completely different. I lived for um, at a place in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado for a while, which was situated 8,000 feet. I went out my door every day, and when I first started, I couldn't even run up my driveway. Like I had to walk up the driveway to get 
going. It's appreciably challenging to run anything at those pace to be at that elevation. So I just want to make that point that as we talk about these paces, every single thing has to be taken with a grain of salt. And those of you, many of you who are listening to this podcast, you don't really know the difference between a 240K and a 253K. So we're going to talk to you a little bit about what those are in paces. And we're going to probably use um, 5K pace, 10K pace, half marathon pace as generalizations, just so it's easier for you to understand. But regardless of all the things we're talking about, it needs to be completely understood what Tomek already said, that we are dealing with in most cases on every long run, a lot of hills, a lot of really challenging hills. And we're talking about being in the mountains. We're not talking about altitude. We're talking about in the mountains. And 8,000 feet of elevation is significantly challenging. Um, and so, and, but it's very hard with each individual athlete to make a complete designation on what that effort is for them. And it seems like someone like Kipchoge um, does, deals really well with altitude, but you know what? Most of the Kenyans do. Why? Because they were born and raised at it. So yes, for us, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And for them, it's challenging too, but it's what they know every day and it's what they've dealt with every day. So it's not that surprising. So again, so what I'm doing is making an argument for altitude being incredibly hard, but then you also need to take into consideration that this is the place that these athletes come from. It's what their normal is, but it is pretty incredible the kind of work that Kipchoge is doing at these elevations. So in this workout, it's a Tuesday morning session. He does a 3K warm-up, which is basically two miles, and he runs it in 15 minutes. That means he's, for him, 7.30 per mile pace is like almost everybody else's nine plus per mile pace, right? It's really, really easy. Um, and then he has 10 times 1K with three minutes recovery. And then he does a 3K cool down. To make this workout written on paper, is like what every high school kid or every college kid does in America, right? Like we're not talking about some kind of incredibly complicated or super mystical or some kind of specialty workout, right? It's just 10 by a K with a pretty considerable recovery. Three minutes is pretty long, right? And he's running these, his splits are 246, 248, 249, 245, 245, 244, 247, 245, and then he closes down 243, 238, right? Now, that's not a very, when you look at that on paper, it's not super challenging. So this is for him, um, basically like he's running 430 per mile pace. For th it could be argued between 428 to 432 per mile pace, um, you know, fluctuating. And his marathon race pace is what, 435, right? World record? Yep. yep. So on paper, you're looking at the going 10 times 1K at his marathon pace or just it's not even his half marathon equivalency pace so right off the bat you got to look at this and say what's going on you know you and i tomek we look at that and go this doesn't make sense well it does if you're running at eight thousand feet of elevation right right i mean and what you did days before and what do you have to do <laughs> next <laughs> oh that's exactly it tomek that's exactly the point that is so crucial is that then on that's on a saturday right so he does that session on a saturday that's his faster day then he comes back on the next tuesday and he does a 3k warm-up and then 15 times 1k right so a very similar session he's doing he's doing time and a half the distance so 15 times 1k with a half the recovery so he only gets a minute and 30 seconds recovery. Same warm-up, same cool-down, super easy. And now he's running slower paces, right? 
254, 255, 254, 251, 255, 251. And all this fluctuation is because there's a variety of different people leading and they're doing 15 times a K and their recovery is pretty short. But what you see is, what I'm seeing here, Tomek, is what we would call broken tempos, right? It's like breaking up his work to make sure that he's getting a physiological benefit from the work that he's doing, keeping his recovery is very short, but doing work, making sure that he's doing work. Again, that's backed up with 150 mile, 125 miles per week, all at 8,000 feet of elevation, all done, as we found out later, in fluctuating weather conditions from freezing cold, pouring down rain to two days later, really hot, incredibly sticky, humid weather. They fluctuate in weather. But the thing I want to make the point of about this, Tomek, is that these are not mind-boggling workouts, right? These are workouts that your American marathoning, marathon, an American marathoner could do with relative ease if they were at sea level, right? Yeah. So a 210 marathoner could look at this and go, I can do all these workouts, but can they do it at 125 miles a week at 8,000 feet? And how – so those are the workouts that, that we saw a lot of, right? We saw a lot of this relatively easy, right? Or rel well, I don't even want to say easy. I said challenging but not monumental, not epic, right? Could, not you heroic. Could say, you, could say, you, you, you could say controlled. I would say controlled. That's a pretty yeah. good word. And all that's because of what happens on Thursday. So tell people what's going on on Thursday with Kiptogi, generally. On Thursdays, they, they usually go on for the long run, and, and uh, that's the either progression, either 30K or, uh, let's say, 20 miles to 24 miles, which is the 40K. And it looks like he likes to split them uh, 10K segments, so it's pretty easy for 40K. And it looks like he, uh, you know, the question was asked, and Mzungu said that they pretty much he starts with the 80 to 85 percent of marathon pace, uh, then uh, 85 to 90, another k, 10 k, and then 90 to 95, and then last 10 k, he pretty much uh, goes closer to the marathon pace, more like 95 percent. I, I I haven't seen him. Of course, it's a 8,000 feet of elevation hilly course, dirt roads, pretty much uh, to give you perspective, he runs with two or four, two or four, five guys in his group and nobody can stay with him, right? <laughs> Finishing those workouts. So it may not seem like a crazy pace, but just to say that nobody could, two or four guy couldn't stay with Kipchoge, you know, then Clearly, Kipchoge must be two or wait. He is two or one guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to read. Um, I want to read on February twenty eighth. This is a, this is one of his um, long runs. Mizugo did a great job of keeping really clipped, very, very informative, and with a little little touches of humor. The, the sort of missives that he gives after each one of these workouts. And I want to read one that you had in here. It says, Today, Ilya Kipchoge and his group had a 40K long progression run. This pack was huge at the start, up to 50 athletes. Think about that. Like, there's no other place in the world where there's 50 athletes, you know, 
and basically 10 of them are invited, right? <laughs> it's like 10 of them belong there. And the other 40 are wannabes who you never know who the next great Kenyan athlete's going to be. So I'm sure that part of that programming is, you know, feed them to the wolves and see who survives. Um, but that's a huge number of people. So it says up to 50 athletes. But in the end, they were all scattered across the undulating road in tiny groups. Weather was great, partly sunny. And it was 15 degrees Celsius or 65 degrees. So 65 degrees was just perfect weather for them. So they do 40K in two hours and 15 minutes. And then he gives you the, fifth, the 5K splits. And this is the part that I think is the big takeaway from our listeners. Number one, he's doing very long, long runs. And then he's getting very little warm-up and very cool little cool-down in those long runs. So 1K up, 1K down, so he can get 26 miles for the day, basically. And then this is his progression of his, of his 5K sections. 1812. This is a 246 5K runner. I mean, sorry, a 1246 5K PR this guy has. So he goes 1812, 1721, 1702, 1650, 1648, 1636, 1639. So basically what you see is a big uh, is a is a slow easy 5K and then they get they get about basically a minute quicker per k per 5k and then they basically get a little bit faster but they hold that pace but they get they squooch it down just a little bit they're like squeezing it squeezing it squeezing it little by little and then the last 5k is 1542 so they then make a big jump and that's where kipchoge is separating right you and i can probably picture that right tomek like right. everybody's there at people less and less people are there as they go that 1648 and that 1636 and then the 1639 and he's all by himself and then he basically accelerates and proves that he's the best in the world by running 1542 final k final 5k on an unbelievably hilly tough course running away from the best in the world 50 of the best runners in the world and and you know that's how he does it that that's how his approach is and over and over and over again, you see varying degrees of the same thing. Long runs that are that are basically 20 miles or 24 miles with short warm-ups to get the volume that he needs and always progressions, never focusing on any specific pace. You can tell by the way the paces fluctuate that they're running in a group. They're testing themselves against each other in the terrain and the weather, and they are just getting faster and faster and faster as they go along. It's just unbelievably freeing and encouraging to me to read this kind of training it like makes me believe in Ilya Kipchoge even more as an athlete right like there's nothing fancy here there's no magic workouts it's just 10 fucking weeks of incredible well-supported you know basic physiology and getting after it week in, week out, week in, week out at very high volumes at very high altitude. Yeah, you know, I was just just trying, to, like you said, we could picture him running away from his training partners this last 5K. But then, you know, comes Friday, he runs another 25 miles easy. And then Saturday, he has that long session on a track. So, I mean, you know, if, gosh, it's it's... After 40k progression run, you would say, "Can I take a week off?" You know, and and like maybe start. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like here comes Saturday. Are you ready for some? You know, 20, 
15 times 1k plus 10 times 400 meters you know in your 5k pace it's like wow uh, the group nobody on the group could start the 400 meters uh, according to mzungu you know uh, which is amazing he he did them by himself yeah and then he anyway, does them in basically they, stretches from 64 second 400 down to 60 second per 400 with what was the recovery like 30 seconds re minute recovery or something yep so he's basically I, doing a really hard mile workout at the end after after 15 10k or 15k of k's i think it was 15k yeah 15k yeah. of k's and then he's doing what we would all almost everybody would call a world-class miler session <laughs> Right, right like nobody so, yeah yeah the way i look at it you know as we talk more in, and more the importance of of his coach patrick sank comes to to picture yes absolutely like, you 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 couldn't i mean you couldn't i mean this is just like a methodical prescribed work that Kipchoge executes, uh, you know, with the pacers that is just, you can go faster because you're not going to make it to the next session. You can go faster, you know, it's all controlled and it has a vision and has a progression, like you said. Now, looking on that spreadsheet, you know, week after week, it's faster and faster and longer and faster, you know, and yep. we're almost at the taper, you know, three weeks to go and uh, guys say he's in a two or two shape uh at least if the weather is good but you know now in Kipchoge he already ran two hours and 25 on the Monza track and two hours and one uh, and change you know in Berlin so clearly he can he 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 knows he can run it again yeah and they they modulated a few different things this cycle so the things that they did differently they shortened some recovery in a few places and slowed things down and maybe added a rep or a couple reps right um and then the other thing they did is they added you notice this on one day and i don't know how many times they're going to do this near the end but they did add some 100 meter sprints um what they call flies um at the end of a workout that nobody else could stay with kipchoge on he took only a short 30 seconds rest so you can see that kipchoge is planning both for a long pull away grind it down get away from people and then he's also got played in there and easing back and then he needs to ease back and then try to outkick somebody. He's ready to do that too if it needs be. It looks like they're keeping all their all their weapons ready for what might happen on race day, so that he can still get up and sprint. And he's running really fast on those one hundreds. Mizungo talked about how they might not have looked incredibly impressive on paper, but that when you watched it on while he was doing it out there, it was. Um, it was like it was key it was obvious what he was trying to do which was work on that finishing sprint and making sure that he had the at least the neuromuscular recruitment patterns ready to manage that when it needs to happen right and and kipchoge will find the magic to outrun people at the end of the race if he has to but he he just is working on the neural rec recruitment pattern so that he can do that and then his mind takes over on race day and gets it done right. you know the other thing tomek for me is um, yes Patrick Sang is modulating these sessions and these progressions and these workouts for Ilya Kipchoge so he can run the fastest he can run based on things that have happened over the last five years, right? So when they're standing there on the track, he I guarantee you Patrick Sang doesn't even need to look at what the workout is, like what the times are on the thing. He can watch what's happening with his athlete and he knows. And it seems that these two are in such a great, have such a great rapport. They've stayed committed to each other for now what's 
nigh on nearly 20 year long running career and the amount of intel and insights that they have, these guys can keep it really fucking simple. Why? Because no one works harder, no one works more consistently, and no one works with more of an equanimous mind and a balanced mindset that allows him to be able to get philosophical and start thinking about things more along the lines of how much suffering can I take? How much suffering can my competitor take? How good can I be today? And I think that that's how binary, how simple Kipchoge keeps it. You know, he's a very intelligent man, but he does not play that way Um when you hear him talk or the way he seems to present his experience of getting ready for a race. He's not over-intellectualizing. He's just done the work. He knows where his body is stands and what he can manage and handle. And then he does the kind of training that just grinds and grinds and grinds just like a race grinds and grinds and grinds. And he is physiologically prepared, psychologically prepared, and... Um, as you said, I mean, he's running with 204 guys. And, you know, basically how fast is Mo Farah? 203, 204, right? So if Mo Farah was in these training sessions with him, and believe me, Mo Farah's not, he's training in Ethiopia, but he's he's not probably training in the, he's training similarly, but not the same exact way. But Mo Farah would be getting, he would, he would run Mo Farah off his wheel in these training sessions. That's how impressive these sessions are and how relentless they are and how, how they just keep coming at you over and over, day by day, week by week, all the way up to this final peak that will happen. The one thing I'm missing here is I would love to see what happens over these next three weeks to see how he tapers. That's really interesting to see. How does a guy who runs you know, 125 miles a week of incredibly challenging work, how does he taper? How does he get ready for that last phase? What what sorts of work does he do? Does he change gears? Does he stay in the same zone? We found out that he doesn't do any more 40k runs. We know that that ended, right? But yes. what else plays out would be interesting to know. Yeah. So Mzungu, Mzungu reported uh, after uh, yesterday's uh, final 40k long progression, uh, he did, yeah, he, he, ran, he ran it like 211 and he says dirt roads, undulating course, not too hard, <laughs> not too hard, no big <laughs> yeah. deal. He closed in twenty nine fifty seven, so pretty much uh, thirty minutes, ten k. Uh, so yeah, slower than his marathon pace, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, we 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 really hope that you all gained something from this. You know, we had a lot of fun talking about it, but I think it's. We just had this one unbelievable window into the mind and the eye of the training that happens for Kipchoge. And I just thought many of our listeners are not don't have the time to peruse the back channels of Let's Run's um, message board like you and I have the ability to do. And so um, we thought we would just pluck out of there this last nine weeks of training. And as I said, we'll put it up in the show notes so you can see um, what it looks like. And... Uh, Hopefully you guys found out some basic intel and maybe found ways to look at how you train. And we didn't go into too much depth about that. Um, but believe me, as a coach, I'm currently in the mindset of looking at this work and saying, so I do a lot of these same similar things, but am I doing them the way I need to do? And don't worry, Tomek, I won't be throwing down 40K worth of work with um, these kinds of progressions for you anytime soon. But um, generally, it does make me look at it and say, um, there's a place for all these different energy systems, but there's also a place for just grinding out the work and staying healthy through all that work, you know? Yeah, yeah. And a final comment. Uh, you know, I, I'm i looking at it, you know, uh, the fact that uh, we have 
this this his workouts, his the days of training and, and all the notes and, and Zungu's work on on let's run. I think, uh, you know, you know, Kipchoge is keeping quiet on the social media at the moment. He's you know his final preparation um, to the marathon, but I think he's. He is, you know, in this, I would call, second part of his career. I, he looks like after this world record, what is different, he, he's just almost like giving back, you know. He, he, he knows people, loves him, and he has a huge following. And, and I think that's Patrick Sang's and Kipchoge is kind of, here, here is what I do, you know. You, you can do it, you can analyze it. It's kind of, I feel like he's a little bit, giving giving back to the community you know to the to the fanatics like uh, us and and whoever else you know yeah i totally agree and again it's just another argument for why um patrick saying Ilya kipchoge um joffrey kamwar are you know the class of the distance running world and um there's never any question about whether there's drugs or performance enhancing going on in their in their system um when you do work like this and you can do work like this week in week out and consistently um then you don't need it you know and i i'm i'm a complete believer that these guys are clean and that doesn't mean that individuals within that camp aren't doing their own side hustle game with that you know with that kind of stuff but i guarantee you these great ones they're not because they don't need to and because very few people can work and and it takes a mindset and a a a heart right a deep hearted commitment to your work to be able to do the kind of load that Kipchoge's doing week in week out and um and the kind of commitment that his coach in coach saying has in continuing to slowly tweak the model just a little bit to get the extra benefits to get the extra um you know the the way that his body will will recover and the way it will adapt that's the word i was looking for getting those adaptations that are just fine tuned and just slightly little slight little changes to the model that make all the difference and the other thing about this to your point tomek is getting this intel getting these kinds of workouts is so interesting just to remind us that our sport is not about the fancy training our sport is about big hearts and big balls, right? And that's what it comes down to. And 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 a guy with an equanimous mind who basically just says, "Bring all take, I'll take all comers. I'm ready to go. I'm looking for a world record. If you can run with me, I'll race you at the end. But good luck being with me, right?" It reminds me a lot of sort of Prefontaine without the uh, without the drama, you know. <laughs> and it's just a right. if anybody else dares to come with me, come with me. Um, and let's go get it, right? And I'm, it makes me so excited to watch um, what's going to happen in London. Um, I think we've got the makings of perhaps another world record, um, but we shall see. And we'll talk about that in a subsequent podcast. But here we are, Tomek. We've gone for an hour on Ilya Kipchoge's training plans. Um, you and I, we've talked about making this a 30-minute episode, but I think we're going to be stuck at an hour from now on. <laughs> anyway, right. uh, we, by, we, by the way, how is your Kipchoge doing? Oh, that's right. My little Kipchoge is, he's a happy dude. He's uh, six months old and uh, he's going to be, um, he could probably, eventually he'll be able to challenge his namesake. Um, he's a really fast little fucker. Uh, he's a German short hair pointer. He's getting some, a little bit of runs in. Um, I run him about 
you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes um, in the midst of a, of a two-hour hike or an hour-and-a-half hike. Um, he's a German short hair pointer, so he needs lots of energy, and um, I like being out in the woods. He's out on the, in the woods as we speak. As I'm recording this episode, he's out with Kristen um, doing a hike. So uh, he, And he had a hike this morning, too, so he's, he's constantly going all the time. But, yeah, little, <laughs> little Kip is rocking and rolling. Um, thanks for asking. So... <laughs> Well, with that, we'll we'll wrap this one up. This has been episode four. Um, if you have any comments, you can reach out to me. Um, my name is Steve, obviously, and my email is sisson, S-I-S-S-O-N, at telos, T-E-L-O-S, running.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear how we're doing. Thanks, Tomek, for another great episode. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.